Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. May I invite you to stand with me as we read our text this morning. And our text is in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. Jeremiah 29, verse 1 to 14. Let's read. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope, a future, and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. May the Lord add blessing to the reading, 
and the listening of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we commit to you our time together. This precious moment of seating at your feet. To have our hearts, our minds fixed on your, on your beauty. Lord, by your spirit, by the work of your Holy Spirit alone, may everything in us, O oh Lord, be regenerated, come alive, be rebuked, be corrected, be humbled, knowing, O oh God, how stubborn we are. Knowing, oh God, how self-righteous we are before you. Soften our hearts by your grace and by your mercy. Through your appointed means of the preaching of your word to us in your Lord's day. In your day. Lord, thank you. We entrust you everything. Bless your church in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Last Thursday, so that was August 5, that was the day before the enhanced community quarantine, right? So today we are, uh, go, uh, we are in, our, in, the, in the ECQ and some people are not like MECQ, MECQ. But last Thursday, August 5, as I, or as we were listening to the radio, DZWB, uh, the news, there was a report that there was a chaos in SM San Lazaro, Manila, when as many as 10,000 people flocked to vaccination sites when they heard that unvaccinated people cannot go out from their homes. or Unvaccinated people will not be able to qualify or will not qualify to receive ayuda or goods from the government or help from the government. And then there was a comment from the listener in the radio, Mike Enrique said, in light of what happened, uh, the thought said that, or the thought was, the people now are not afraid of the virus, are not merely afraid of the virus, but they are actually afraid of being quarantined. So they are not afraid of getting the virus. They are just going to the vaccination site so that they will be able, after all, to go out from their homes. Because if you can see the news, the, the, the news there are pictures like people are really like almost... Uh, close to have a stampede. Or in other sense, we can say that people are not afraid of the virus, but they are afraid on not living their normal lives. So in that sense, for us who are in this situation being quarantined at homes, we are experiencing somehow the kind of exilic life inside our homes. So that's why, in light of our text today in Jeremiah 29, 1-14, I entitled our message, 
exiles in our own world. Exiles in our own world. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in this, in this book, and along with his contemporary prophets, so meaning there are appointed prophets that the Lord raised up to speak against Israel, and others are raised up to speak against or to speak or prophesy to the people of Judah. So there are prophets along with Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, let's say, Daniel, along with his contemporary prophets, have already prophesied that there is an impending judgment or incoming judgment that the Lord will execute them to be exiled to be brought out from Jerusalem and to be captive, to become captives in a foreign land, and in this case, a, a power in powerful nation. And later on, in the latter chapters, their city also will be destroyed. So that's why there was an impending judgment that they will be sent out from Jerusalem, and at the same time, after a few years or so the city of Jerusalem will be totally destroyed. Why? Because, as we all know, they have broken the covenant. They are under the covenant of Yahweh. And whenever they disobey or transgress the covenant, they know what will happen. They know what they will expect because it was written in the law. But ultimately, the people, the God's people, or the people of Judah, have forsaken the Lord ultimately. Especially, we can see here in Jeremiah, you have forsaken me as the fountain of living waters. You have committed two evils. And so now, in, in this chapter, or in the near chapters from chapter 29, Judah will be under the yoke of the superpower in their time. And under the, which is under the regime or rule or government of Babylon. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 25, 11 to 12, prophesied to the people of Judah saying that this whole land, this is his prophecy, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So this was prophesied already. We are actually we know we are in chapter 29. This was prophesied in chapter 25. So they know that they it was already prophesied. But the problem, instead of acknowledging the word of the Lord, the people of Judah, through the influence of the false prophets, not merely like or in another way, the the false prophets are influencing them. Or they are influencing their own prophets to speak good things that suits their preferences. But this is what's happening. 
instead of acknowledging the word of the Lord, the people of Judah, through the influence of the false prophets, are steered to prefer fake prediction. Meaning it's not true. Or in our time, fake news. So they're preferring those fake prediction that the Babylonian, that the Babylonian power the false prediction is that the, the Babylonian power will immediately collapse. So right away, even if they are already captives in Babylon, they want to believe that th this will soon end. This will soon end. Our captivity will soon end. Especially if we will at least go back one chapter in chapter 28, there is this prophet Hananiah that was also judged by the Lord for speaking false prophecy in his name. So while this may appear, these words from the false prophets, while this may appear to be a comfortable word of prophecy, so meaning they will be rescued, they will go back to the land, and they will again live their normal lives. It's really comfortable on their part, surely. But it implies, actually, in, in that kind of approach, it implies that these people are not truly seeking for hope, but would rather escape the judgment that they deserve. Simply put, they, they want to reject the word of the Lord from through Jeremiah wants to listen to a good prophecy that they will not be enslaved. But in real sense, they actually sim they simply want to escape the judgment of God. So compared to other prophets, compared to other prophets, all right, let's single out Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known to be a prophet who truly involves himself with his people. He does not only speak in behalf of the Lord, like the usual prophets, but as he speaks the word of the Lord, he associates himself with, with his people. He speaks the word of the Lord that is totally against the, the people of Judah. But as he speaks, he is also like receiving it to himself to the point that he is also really affected. Known to be a weeping prophet, the judgment of God is not merely what he weeps after. It is not, Jeremiah is not like a soft guy. You know that the judgment is being proclaimed or told by the Lord. He simply cries. It's not really about the judgment, but after what he is weeping after he is weeping on the kind of people that Judah had become. He is actually weeping because what happened to the people of God? What happened to the holy nation of God? Why have you turned away from his covenant? They have become, their hearts have become hardened. That's what he is weeping after. He is affected in what's happening in the land. 
So upon hearing, upon hearing how the false prophets were persuading the people of Judah, now think like, think like the Apostle Paul, or think about the Apostle Paul. Jeremiah also, from Jerusalem, felt the duty to write a letter of warning to the exiles in Babylon to counteract or to rebut those prophecies. So just like Apostle Paul, right? Jeremiah in the Old Testament, combating the false teachers or the false prophets for him. So what is at stake here? is the high calling of God's people to repent and to trust on His infallible covenant promise to them. Because that's what at least the book of Jeremiah is all about. He is speaking prophecies, not merely for judgment, but for the people of God to repent, to turn, to turn away from, their, from, the, from the fountain, from the wells that they have pursued, and go back to the true fountain. And trust in his covenant promises. So though the Babylonian exile are completely different from our context, right? So you may probably react like, what's the sense of this story when, when their context is different from us? But here's the truth. Humanity throughout history is living in exile from the perfect world of Eden. It simply means that all humanity were all taken out from Eden and were cursed and living in corruption and during the perfect and righteous judgment of God. But for us as his people, we are citizens of heavenly Jerusalem. We know, in some sense, just like Paul, he's saying that we are not at home, or we are at home with the Lord. So it implies that our, our citizenship, of course, is not found here in our world. And we are seeking for the city that is to come as in the language of the writer of Hebrews. So just like the letters of Paul, this letter from Jeremiah surely is not directly addressed to us. But it is specified in Romans 15 verse 4 by Paul that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Whatever was written in former days, surely it was written for to them, but not for us, but not to us. But they are actually written for our learning. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so, in dealing this passage, what does the Lord intend to teach his church today? as we learn from this letter of Jeremiah to the exiles. Jeremiah, in his letter, portrays to us the manner of living that the people of God as exiles in a foreign land should embody. Or in other words, 
this text gives us a biblical vision on how we should live as exiles in our fallen world. So first, I divided, at least as we can see here, there are two things that were emphasized for the exiles or the calling of God for the exiles. In verses 4 to 9, we can see that they are called to be thriving exiles. Thriving exiles. So thriving simply means that you are enduring. Or in other words also, flourishing. Or like a flower blooming, even in the midst of unfortunate circumstance. Second, in verses 10 to 14, they are called to be hopeful exiles. Or we are called to be hopeful exiles. So first, in verses 4 to 9, they're called to be thriving exiles. And here, as we can see in this first part of the letter, these are like the practical instructions from God on how they should live in a foreign land. And what we can learn here, at least there are three things that teaches us on to become a thriving exiles. First is, in verses 5 to 6, I divided it also into three. First is, it tells us to bloom where you are planted. To bloom where you are planted. So let's read again the letter, at least in, let's begin from verse 3, then up to verse 6. So the letter was sent by the head of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It is said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So the reality of the exile judgment, the reality of the exile judgment of God to these people probably is still not sinking in their consciousness. And they are still thinking that rescue is on its way. So it's like, really? It's already ECQ? I don't think so. No, no, no. We can still live our normal lives or we can still do the usual thing. No. Being exiled to them or the exile is really happening. But these people are still, it's still not sinking to them. They're still hoping for the rescue to come. And the acceptance, the acceptance of the judgment makes them paralyzed to face the new life that is in front of them. So instead of living normally in that situation, they are not accepting the judgment. To the point that they are paralyzed on what they should do. 
paralyzed to face the new life that is already in front of them. But the reality of the exile is there's nothing complex in it. There's nothing that they should think so much of. There's nothing that they should, you know, calculate. Do some formulas. How, how we should live in this situation. No, there's nothing complex in it. They are now exiles and they are simply ought to continue living their normal lives in the present. Wala nang icing. That's it. The first instruction of the Lord to them is to be responsible enough to live their lives as usual. Right? So, first instruction. This set of things to build houses, plant, take wives. These are the responsibilities on how they can continue to live their normal lives. It says that they are ought to build a place to live, that they should not like, it's okay, we are exiles, we will just live wherever we want. No. You can build houses still in Babylon. You can still, you can, in another thing, you, to cultivate a source of living so that their stomachs will be filled by planting and their bodies will be healthy. They should be responsible enough to cultivate the ground, to plant something, and expect a harvest so that in that harvest, they will have something to, to eat and their bodies will live. They are not ought to expect or to, to steal or to beg. They are called to live normally by being a responsible individual and also to raise up a family. Not like, it's okay. We are already, Jerusalem has fallen. Let's just wait for our total destruction that our race will be wiped away. No. The Lord is calling them to continue to live by, to give themselves into marriage, to have their own families, still to live normally in Babylon, and not merely for them, not merely to enjoy their families. Wow, we have sons and daughters. No, for the sake also of the future generation of Israel. For the sake of the future nation of Israel. So they are not ought to treat their lives. They are not ought to treat their situation as if their lives are hopeless at all. We are in exiles. Finish na. Wala na. There's no hope at all. No. Or there is, and there is nothing good ahead of them. It's like, we are in exiles. There's nothing good ahead of us unless the Lord will bring us back to our land. Unless the Lord will bring us back to our normal lives. Should, should they simply react like that or do nothing at all? No. In idiomatic expression, they have to bloom where they are planted. They have to flourish wherever they are being placed because they can still flourish wherever they are planted. They can flourish or bloom in their lives even when they exist in a different territory, especially when Babylon has all the available means and supply. They also have the great river. If Egypt has the great river, 
has great river, Babylon also has. That's why these two countries, whenever, let's say, famine will come, they can survive because of that river. It simply means that Babylon has all the supply and means for them to continue living their normal lives, but under the rule of Babylon. So it tells us that in the midst of adversity, that we should seek in the midst of this dark circumstance or adversity, we should seek the brightest course. Not like stay in the situation by doing nothing at all. No, seek for the brightest course as we live under the darkest circumstance. Yes, we may be living in a situation that we are not used to, like our situation right now. But as his redeemed people, as his ransomed people, we are called to bloom where we are planted. Why? Because the Lord cares for us. It is not simply bringing us to, to, to a kind of situation where we, where we are not living normally, and that's it. No. Actually, yeah. We can see also here in Jeremiah that, that it's not merely about judgment, but it was specified. It's about disciplining his people. Disciplining his people. And that, this is constant if we even approach Hebrews. So, because the Lord cares for us. One scholar said that as Jeremiah weeps for Jerusalem, as Jeremiah weeps for Jerusalem, it was the tears of God that really comes out. It, it is not merely the tears of Jeremiah. Or it's not merely Jeremiah who is weeping. It is actually, this scholar said that it is actually God who is weeping for his people. Church, remember this. God cares so much for his people. Second, strive for the greater good of the society. Verse 7, it says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray. We have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. I love this. So, while they are ought to take care of themselves, Right? It's like, take care of yourself while you are there. Yes, by being responsible individuals. So while they are ought to do, to, to take care of themselves, they are not also ought to simply think about their own good only. About their good only. It tells them that they should seek the welfare, or in my wording, the greater good, or in, in its literal meaning, seek for the peace of the city of Babylon. Even if, even if Babylon, or even if they are under the unrighteous rule of a conqueror, or Babylon, or evil ruler, they should not only think of themselves and live in their own ways, 
because they're responsible living, it tells here that their responsible living and righteous life contributes to the greater good of the society. The contemporary of this is the, is the message of Jesus that we are the salt and light of this world. Do not ever think that nothing is happening in everything that, that we are doing for the Lord. Everything that we are, in the way we live for the Lord. No. It still does something. One scholar said, Sandra Richter. She said that no, even if, if it does, it seems like nothing is happening as you throw the garbage in the right, in the right uh, bin, something is still, something good is still happening. So don't ever think as if nothing is happening in everything that we do. One, yeah, one explained, one writer explained that if it, if it is our duty, Think about this. If it is, right, I missed this. They should not only think of themselves and live in their own ways because they're responsible living here. So one explained that if it is our duty to seek the peace of a strange city, so kung, kung tayo daw ay may, response, may responsibility na isik natin yung peace ng isang city na hindi natin city, or let's say, we are ought to submit to a particular nation. So how much more are we bound to interest ourselves in public duties for the good of our own country? If we are ought to, to seek the peace, if they are ought to seek the peace of Babylon, how much more that they should seek the peace of Israel? So, and I will also add, how much more that our country should expect more from the followers of Christ. The sad thing is, baka tayo pa yung hindi nakakatulong. What a shame it would be if we only care about our own good or the good of the church, yun lang ang iniisip natin, and never on the everyday people that we engage with and the city at large. We only care about what we are doing each week. But we don't care on, everyday, on the everyday people that we are encountering every day. While we can constantly pray for our city, yes, we may appear like we are praying for the city. As, yes, this is like the instruction also. And I will, I will also, I, I want to say that we are good at this as a church, right? While we can constantly pray for our city, let us make sure that we really, that we truly care for the good of everyone. That we really care for the good of everyone. Why? Because for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. So meaning, we have to recognize the fact that each of us will benefit from that each of us will benefit from the peace of the city. If the, the city is peaceful, then our individual lives should be peaceful also. 
So that's why our aim is that the city will have peace. Because that is where their peace is dependent. So we should never live in our own ways, but yield to the authority for the greater good of the society. How I wish I can give practical examples, but you know, in our situation today, think about the greater good of the society that we should obey the protocols. So, also, third, in order for them to thrive, to be a thriving exiles, in verses 8 to 9, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets, your diviners who are among you, deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So in all of those, in all, so in, in this verse, it tells us that they are ought to submit to the wisdom of God's judgment. To submit to the wisdom of God's judgment. So in all of those practical, practical instructions for living, they should trust and submit to the higher wisdom of God in executing his judgment to them. So again, they are trying to escape the judgment of God, but the Lord is actually addressing, or Jeremiah here is actually trying to battle, as the Lord has sent him, to battle the false prophecies, because that those prophecies are against the judgment of God. This is the very issue that Jeremiah wants to address in his letter. The problem is that along with the false prophets, the people of Judah want to get rid of the judgment of God. That they want to listen to prophecies that suits their preferences. They, they simply do not want to suffer. Meaning they simply do not want to receive the judgment of God. They want everything to be normal. They are actually short-sighted. They are like only focused on the present situation and never sees what the judgment of God will bring in the end. The truth is, throughout the scripture, throughout, I'm talking about everything in the scripture, whenever God's judgment or divine wrath, so-called divine wrath, was mentioned or used, it is always used in a positive sense as God being angry for justice. Because for sure, the word judgment itself is, a, is in a negative sense, let's say. But in terms of the judgment of God on how the scripture is portraying the, the, the judgment of God, it is actually positive. It gives us the impression that it is a good thing for God to bring justice to evil for the purpose of peace and the prosperity of his people. Can you imagine a world that we can simply do whatever we want? And whenever evil was done, it's just okay. God does not simply chastise us, right? God is not simply chastising us whenever we, let's say, we fail him. 
And then after we, after he chastised us, okay, let's go back to the plan. Or to bring us back to the plan of redemption. But the truth is, God's redemptive plan includes judgment. Includes judgment. This is this has been the pattern of the redemptive history throughout the canon of Scripture. That's why there are biblical theologians who are emphasizing the salvation of God through judgment. So D.A. Carson also said, beautifully said, that the first doctrine that the serpent denies, the first doctrine that the serpent denies is judgment. He wants a world without judgment. Which is brilliant, right? Because you get to do everything else. So, in other words, when we are trying to escape judgment, we are against the holiness of God. And we want evil instead. But church, we should all the more glory in the judgment of God, for we know that it is, our, it is for our ultimate good. We're in one day. He will bring to finality the chaos in this world by bringing justice to evil and also justice to the evil one. We can understand this more in the next verses. Yes, correct. So in verse 14, 10 to 14, they are also called to be, to be hopeful exiles. To be hopeful exiles. So in verse 10 to 14, it says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. And what plan is that? Declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. There you go. Not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And you, then you will call upon me and call and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That you will seek me and find me. Remember, this is not happening to them presently. They're not, they're, they have forsaken the Lord. But the Lord is planning to bring them really back by causing them to come to him. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And here, here comes the new covenant by changing the heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Wow, beautiful word indeed. Jeremiah here, shall I say, this is the letter to the exiles. Because in the following verses, Jeremiah also wrote to particular people as the Lord wants to speak against them. Again, focusing on the letter of Jeremiah to the exiles, Jeremiah sealed the letter to the exiles by establishing them constantly to the redemptive plan of God. So meaning, you are ought to live in Babylon, you are ought to live 
responsibly. You are ought to multiply. You are ought to become responsible citizens. Why? Because this is the plan, the beautiful plan of God in the future. So when the appropriate time has come, as we have read, when the appropriate time has come, the Lord surely will fulfill his promise and bring their lives back to normal, especially when they return to Jerusalem, which actually happened, which truly happened after the fall of Babylon. Remember, prophecy is like, yes, 70 years you will stay in chapter 25, but I will, but I will judge Babylon and truly they will be able to go back to Jerusalem because of the new power, which is Persia, and through the means of Cyrus, the addict, to, to, for the return of the exiles. The Lord is faithful indeed. So, certainly, their stay in Babylon was not meant to bring them harm. Their stay in Babylon was not meant for evil but to give them a hope and a future. They can be focused on the present situation and appear as if it is evil. But no, there is something, there is wisdom in the judgment of God. But as they receive this message from God, right? So the letter was sent, but it's not merely a letter, but the message of God to them. The reality is, they still ought to stay in Babylon and live faithfully in the will of God for long years. How will you respond to that? Now, 70 years. I don't know how old the people, they are... There are kings, there is one king that is captivated, priests, elders, metal workers, and other people in Judah. I don't know how old they are or they were during the time, but after 70 years, surely they will die. Or we don't know if uh, there will be surviving. I think there will be a surviving prophet that will be able to come back to Jerusalem. But if we will calculate as other scholars tried to calculate, the 70 years, there are actually many versions of 70 years, either starting from the time when Jeremiah was called to the time when the edict would return or the time when, the time when uh, they are already in Babylon and they are able to return, literally. So there are many versions of 70 years, but they fall short of the precise number of 70 years. It's either 66, 68, 63, and never really exactly 70 years. That is why we can entertain the idea that the fulfillment of this prophecy is messianic in nature, meaning it will be fulfilled ultimately in the end. What end? The end of all things. This tells us that it encompasses the whole creation and not only the people of Judah in Babylon. 
They are saying then that the 70 years represents a long years and, full, and the fulfillment of this prophecy, along with all the other prophecies and other revelations, revelation will be on the final salvation of God's people. So meaning the fulfillment of 70 years will be on the final salvation of God's people. So the exiles returned to, to Jerusalem. This is what happened after, seven, let's say, so-called 70 years. They returned to Jerusalem, yet, and was able to rebuild Jerusalem, let's say, the temple, the wall, yet still was unfaithful to the Lord when their city was restored. We have just finished Nehemiah, and we know what happened in the last chapter. There are series of powerful nations after Babylon that ruled Judah, Persia, see the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire that ruled Judah up to the time when the city was destroyed again. So there are series of powerful nations after Babylon when the Roman Empire ruled in the first century the city of Jerusalem again was destroyed. What happened to the prophecy of Jeremiah? That's why I just thought of it recent or earlier that that's why Jesus wept for Jerusalem just like Jeremiah. He knows that this city will be destroyed again. That's why they were destroyed by the Roman Empire in the first century and there was a great persecution among Christians that led many writings in the New Testament to put their hope in the Lord. So meaning, the exilic life happened in the Old Testament, but it continues. It continued also in the New Testament. Persecuted Christians by the Roman Empire. That's why it, many letters were, were written, like Revelation, Peter also, Hebrews, to put their hope in the Messiah. The history of the church also, after the time of the apostles, continues to live in its dark years of persecution. Abuse and distortion of the message of the gospel. And even up to our time today, this simply tells us that every generation of the people of God are to live as hopeful exiles and not in despair or without hope. Just as what the Apostle Peter wrote to the scattered persecuted Christians during that time. In 1 Peter 4, 12-13, it says, Beloved, Oh, you're, you're experiencing that trial? He said, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you to, upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory 
is revealed. Church, the purposes of God is always future word. We are not meant to simply live in our situation, but to really put our hope in what the Lord, on what the Lord will accomplish in the end. So, to wrap up everything, this is the simple message of the preaching today. As exiles in our own world, we are called to faithfully pursue the calling of God as we live in our fallen world. To live, to live as a church, to live as followers of Christ, as we live in our fallen world while the consummation of all his promises in restoring all things to glory are still yet to come. I want to end also by quoting these words from Maltby the Babcock, Maltby the Babcock, who was a Presbyterian minister in the 1900s in his hymn, This Is My Father's World, says here, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, O God, for your word to us, to your church. Today, in our time, in our very situation, that we as your beloved ransom people should really give ourselves to you. We are saying, Lord God, that we want to follow you just like Peter, oh God. But when it comes to trials and sufferings, we, seem, we hide right away. Forgive us as your church. Cause your church to shine in this moment, O oh Lord. May our lights not be hidden under the table, Lord God, but to shine like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden for the good of this world, for the good of the many people, O oh Lord, for the good of those people that you want, Lord God, to be saved. For the good of all men also, O God. For the glory of your name. May we continuously, O Lord, be established in your beautiful plan of redeeming your people. O Lord, and we want to join indeed the groaning of the whole creation. O Lord, when you will return sooner, O God. Lord, our hope is in you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.